This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I'm very excited to share with us today's guest, Dan Bailey. And let me tell you a little bit about Dan before we kick it off. Dan is a former Division One, was a former Division One sprinter at Ohio University and a five-year individual CrossFit Games veteran, finishing within striking distance of the podium in each of his games appearances, including fourth in 2015. He's a winner of the 2011 Reebok CrossFit Games Worldwide Open and a perennial fan favorite, and Dan earned the Distinguished Spirit of the Games Award in 2015. Since then, he has continued to be a staple in the CrossFit community and has used fitness as a platform to connect with and train with people worldwide. Welcome to the Resilient Life Podcast, Dan. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, looking forward to this conversation. And um, so like I was sharing with you before, you know, I've been following you on Instagram and I I love your journey. I love... um, I love your fitness journey. And and what I love about it is, um, you know, living in Columbus, Ohio, you have a very rural, it seems like your, all your workouts take place in a barn. Whenever you're running outside, it's like beautiful farmlands. And um, there's definitely a sereneness to what you're doing, but it it's very conflicting with the intensity of how you train. And, um, I'd love to know, starting off, were you born competitive? You know, when did you first recognize that you had the ability to push yourself to physical limits? And, you know, that's not something that comes naturally to everyone. Uh, Yeah, I was definitely born competitive. Um, I grew up with an older brother. He was almost two, two years older than me. So, I mean, it's almost unavoidable that those situations, you know, competitive situations just come up. You always want to beat each other in everything. And then that gets carried into when you, when you go to school and those things. And I don't know how young I was, uh, when I started to figure out that like, I was just faster than everybody else. Like I could just beat beat everybody at tag or it, it just kind of came effortlessly like outrunning people for different things. And so, uh, that became part of like what carried me into sports and, and being competitive in that way. I never wanted to lose a race. I hated losing, didn't handle losing well at all. Like I'd cry when I'd lose when I was little, like I was like a sore loser, those kind of things. So, um, yeah, I think that was just something that was kind of born with. And then it definitely got, uh, pushed to the limits with an older brother and, and, you know, competitive sports in school. And so you were a division one sprinter. And I love that because, you know, all three of my kids, they all play sports, soccer, lacrosse, basketball, a little bit of everything. But one of the things that my husband and I have done with each of them is the first thing that we entered all three of them into was cross country because we thought it was just such a great sport. You know, you can put them in our oldest. We put her in at like four years old. It was like, all right, go do cross country, you know? And, um, our oldest ended up 
being pretty good and and went uh, and was pretty competitive in it. But like our six year old now, he's in his first year of cross country and he is not the fastest, but he's super competitive. And I love that it's some it's this sport where you can kind of challenge yourself. It's like it's all on you, right? So right. and and it's such a fundamental thing for anything else they're going to go on to do. Um, how did you, I mean, obviously you knew you were fast, but how did you decide that that was the path you were going to go as a sprinter? Um, just having success, you know, it's like those little things, like you mentioned, it starts with tag. It starts with a game of basketball. It starts with these little things and then, okay, yeah, you know, I want to go run track. I know I'm pretty fast. And then not only do you start beating your peers, but then you start beating kids from other schools and you start, you know, getting more attention, I guess, for those things. And you start realizing like, oh, okay, like I can be really good at this. And, uh, you know, anytime you, you get a win, it feels good to win. So like, uh, if you win a race here or there and, and start doing well, um, you start figuring I should dedicate some time to this. I could be really good at this, that, and I had phenomenal parents. I had great mentors. I had great coaches who pushed me and, and put me in the right positions to do those things. So I think right around my sophomore year in high school, um, I came out for like an opening meet in the year and obviously it's in Ohio. So it's, it's freezing cold in the spring. The track meets are miserable at the start of the year, but I think I long jumped something like close to 21 feet as a sophomore in high school. Wow. And, uh, I, I tore my quad a little bit when I did it. So that was almost kind of the end of my season at the very beginning of it. I spent the rest of the season trying to recover, but, uh, you know, coaches and different people let me know like, Hey, that's not normal at a temperature of this day for an athlete like yourself. Like, be excited for next year. I know you're kind of down and in the dumps about your, your torn muscle, but you know, get ready for the future. And, uh, the rest kind of steamrolled from there, I think. That's awesome. So while you're, you're pursuing your sprinting and track as an athlete in high school and college does well, obviously CrossFit doesn't come into play, but is lifting strength training. Is that a part of what you're doing? Absolutely. Uh, I grew up on a healthy dose of Terminator, Predator, and seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger. So <laughs> I wanted to lift. I wanted to look like that. I wanted to be big and strong uh, like those guys. You know, World's Strongest Man had a huge uh, popularity around the in the 90s too. Yeah. Uh, Bill Kazmaier and a handful of other guys. So, you know, you watch them doing those things and you're a guy. You just want to be strong and lift weights. So um, I'll be down in the weight room three to four days a week, usually through, uh, all of high school, maybe a little bit starting in, in middle school, but, um, yeah. So even through college as well, like the Olympic lifts, those things, uh, they weren't like drilled, like we have to do them in CrossFit. Like you didn't have to be quite as good at them, but they just served their purpose for making you faster, jump higher, all those good things. Right. So when do you find the CrossFit community? That's when you're, you're in grad school. Is that when you kind of find it? Yeah, I, um, I had left Ohio, done some coaching and teaching, and then came back and was, yeah, pursuing a master's degree at University of Akron. And uh, a guy mentioned it to me. He's like, hey, you might like CrossFit. I know you were competitive in college. This is after college, obviously. And, you know, the the workouts we do, we compete against each other in a group class. So you probably have some fun with this. And I did a couple workouts and did really well on them. And he's like, yeah, you have to come to the gym, which was CrossFit Legacy in Barberton, Ohio. And so I went there and uh, just started working out with the class workouts and really understanding what CrossFit was. And then where does that take you? Because obviously, you know, being a CrossFit athlete in 
terms of going to a gym, right? Is is it the same kind of type of trajectory that you experienced when you were young where you're like, oh, I'm faster than these kids. I'm winning at tag. It, was it that same sort of path where you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm actually better than all of you and there could be more here? Uh, yeah, a little bit. The first workout I did was, one of the first workouts I did was Grace, which is 30 clean and jerks at 135 for time. And the reps probably weren't really clean, but I think I did it in about 90 seconds. And that was when my buddy was like, you need to come to the gym. Like you need to come to CrossFit, the CrossFit gym. And so they, everybody there started talking me into, or tell me about the CrossFit games and you can be the fittest man on earth. Uh, they crown the fittest man, woman and team on earth. And, you know, I'm like, well, I would like to be called, called that, you know, yeah. that would be cool to, to get after. And, uh, they pretty much talked me into signing up to my first competition, um, at like, with like five minutes before the deadline closed. I'm like, all right, like I'll do it. You know, at the time it didn't really make sense because I was coming off of being laid off from a job. I had to move back in with my parents. It was like that whole thing of like, I'm embarrassed at where I'm at in life right now. Right. And working out all the time doesn't seem to make a lot of sense anymore. <laughs> um, but something in my gut, like something in my heart kind of told me that I needed to pursue it. And the, those are always those things. Like I'm a spiritual guy. That was something that I felt like God was telling me to do and be motivated towards. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of where it kicked off from there. My first competition uh, was what was called sectionals in 2010. And how do you do in sectionals? I won the sectional in 2010. <laughs> um, and that qualified me for regionals, which that year I actually didn't qualify uh, for the games in 2010. I did well, but I only had about three months of CrossFit training under my belt at that time. And so then you go back in 2011 and... Um... You, do you win in 2011? I won the CrossFit Open, which they changed the the format of qualifying from the sectionals to what they called the Open, which okay. was like a worldwide online competition that they still have today. Um, and, you know, I took the whole next year with the idea of I'm going to win the CrossFit Games in mind and was still going to school and, and doing other things. Uh, but I dedicated a lot of my extra time, my free time, my weekends to just training and getting better at CrossFit. And it paid off in 2011, won the Open, I won my regional, and then that year I ended up taking sixth at the CrossFit Games. And so is it at this point where you are kind of realizing that this is your career? Like this is what you're gonna do? Or is it still a little bit of a, like a side hobby for you? Um, it was still a little bit of, I guess you could call it, a, I wouldn't call it a side hobby. You know, it was just like, I knew kind of where I wanted to be or where I thought I was going to be, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. Um, but I made this the top priority on top of other things, I guess that I was always learning something else or going to school or trying to pursue something else with coaching and basically in a way to help other people uh -huh. as well as be, uh, an athlete. Um, but yeah, after 2011, like some opportunities started coming my way with companies wanting to get involved with sponsoring you and like, helping you be the fittest man on earth and all those things. And I'm like, okay, wow, this has a lot of potential here. And I love the sport. I love the people. I love the community. And no matter how I was going to be involved, I'm like, this is what I want to be involved with. And I heard that I actually read somewhere that you said that, you know, it was like a matter of two years that you found CrossFit, then successfully competed in the CrossFit games. Um, and then next thing you know, you're training with Navy SEALs. And yeah. like, and, and I forget where I saw it, but you said that it was your dream job. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about how that all came to be. 
Wow, that's, yeah. Um, it's one of those things where I never said no to a unique opportunity, mm -hmm. right? So um, there's a gentleman that I actually competed against in the 2010 sectionals who uh, we just kind of exchanged some conversations, everything kept the relationship going. He's been into CrossFit for a long time. And, uh, you know, just talking to the right people, all of a sudden, you know, this job came up with working for the Department of Defense. And I was actually in uh, Santa Cruz at the time, or uh, actually I had just finished my master's at Tennessee Tech and I kind of caught wind of it that some of this stuff was coming around and some people dropped my name that I might be interested in, I might be good at it uh, to coach. So um, applied for that gig and ended up getting it. And it was gonna, it was my dream job. Like you get to kind of peek behind the curtain of this group of people or community of people that um, nobody talks much about, but is somehow always in the front of people's mind when it comes to the defense of our nation. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, they're, you know, quiet professionals for the most part, a lot of them, the way they, they carry themselves. And so there's always this mystique about the Navy SEALs and about all that. So getting to peek behind the curtain a little bit and, and not just that, but, uh, serve the people who are serving me. That's really important to me. Um, you know, these, these people are going to lay down their lives to protect our freedom so that I can do the CrossFit Games, so that I can pursue a life of my choosing. Um, so getting the opportunity to serve those individuals in any way that I can with whatever expertise I have was, uh, you know, something that I really wanted to do and be a part of. Now, what, what specifically were you doing? Were you, you were, you were training them, but were you training them in CrossFit? Were you training, like what, what was, what specifically? That's a good question. Um, I, we, I was not involved with like helping them become a Navy SEAL. That's all part of the cadre and the instructors. And like, that's their gig. Like yeah. that was not, my thing was teaching them how to squat, clean, press, deadlift, uh, exercise in a way with CrossFit or any other way that they thought that they needed to be, um, needed to be fit to execute their job. It was my job to write programs for them to do that. Right. So so-and-so needs to get a little bit better at the deadlift. Like I can do that. That's easy. Like that's my job. You know what I mean? Um, teaching technique, those kind of things, helping them pass different tests, um, you know, cleaning up their weight room, cleaning up, making sure things are organized and all those little things of just being a coach in a college or professional sports weight room is really no different. It's just a different community of people that you're dealing with. Yeah. Well, definitely a different, different community of people. And do you think, yeah. I don't know if you have military in your background, but did it change your perception of the military at all or, or influence your desire to work with the military, military community in another capacity? Um, I don't have, I mean, I have some family members who've been in the military. I don't have military experience myself. Um, it definitely changed my perspective. Like I went into it, uh, to be as humble as possible. Like I wasn't going to strut in there. Like I'm the big CrossFit games athlete or something like that. Right. I, I knew enough with, um, some friends that I've had before that either ex military ex seals that that's the wrong approach to take, especially probably with uh, active duty people. So, um, just walked in there with like a humble mind and open mind and kept my mouth shut when I needed to keep it shut and answered questions when questions needed answered or, uh, and did what I could, you know, to help, uh, fulfill the role that I was in. That's awesome. So you do that, you have this awesome experience, and then you go back in 2014 and 2015, compete in the CrossFit games again. Um, and the closest you got to the podium was in 2015 where you finished fourth. Is that right? Yep. So 
I saw something. It was funny when I was kind of like researching you and then I actually came across this study and it was this fascinating study. And I, I was like, this is something I should talk to Dan about because it actually looked at Olympic medalists and it gauged who was happiest after their experience. And of course, like gold medalists were happiest, but surprisingly, the second most happiest were bronze. Um, because the silver medalist kind of their the idea was almost like I almost made it to gold, but I didn't. And then the bronze finishers were like, I almost didn't make it on this podium. So, you know, they were elated. And, you know, I mean, you're putting in all this time and energy. And I mean, first person like me, it's like, oh my gosh, you competed in five CrossFit games and earned five top 10 finishes. That's incredible, unbelievable. But for a person like you that's living it, like how did you feel about, you know, getting to fourth place? Was it this like sense of accomplishment or did you feel like you left stuff unfinished out there? Yeah, to answer that question, we're going to rewind a little bit. Um, so my senior year in high school, I was in the division one 400 meter dash uh, state final event. And I ended up taking second by like four one thousandths of a second. It was literally <laughs> at the tape. Like I leaned across the line, fell onto the ground and the guy just barely, barely beat me, came up from behind right at the end. And I was devastated. Yeah. Like it was just, it was infuriating, you know, um, that, that made me, I, I dealt with that one for a while. Right. Uh, my dad's always had a good way of putting putting things into perspective for me, though. Like, it's okay to be upset when you lose. Like, yep. you should be. Like, when you lose and don't achieve the things you want, it should sting. Like, that means you care, right? Um, but he's always had a good way of putting things in perspective for me. He said, if I was to tell you, you know, a year and a half ago that you were going to run the fastest time you've ever run, 47.94 at the time, and take second in the state in the quarter mile, what would you have said if I would have told you that a year ago? I'd been like, I'd have been really happy. Yeah. He's like, you're right. You would have, you know, so, you know, I know that you're upset, but like smile a little bit, you know, understand that your hard work got you somewhere and keep working. Like don't lose that drive. So fourth place, like, yeah, I mean, I was, I was happy to, to get it and I'm proud of my whole CrossFit games career, but yeah, not being on the podium, like that hurt, right? Like that I wanted to be there and I worked incredibly hard to be there. Um, but at the same time, you're incredibly proud of, the work that you put in, right? And, you know, I can look back on the weekend and name a hundred different reasons of why I didn't get those 30 points, I think it was like 35 to 40 points I needed to be in third place or or whatever it was. Um, but, you know, that's just part of sports. You know, you, you prepare the best that you can and you go and execute the best that you can. And sometimes it's the other guy's day, you know? So uh, I don't know if that answers your question or no, not. No, it definitely does. Question. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess in high school, you would have been um, a prime participant in this study in the, the second place finish. So you, you the, the study makes sense. So we'll put it that way. But I also think it goes without saying that in those same games in 2015, and this was something I absolutely loved, you won the Spirit of a ga the Games Award, which, is, which acknowledges not only uh, what an athlete accomplishes, but how they accomplish it. And it's known as one of the highest awards in the game. And it goes to an athlete who exhibits, exhibits extraordinary character in a field of already extraordinary human beings. 
What did that award mean to you and what kind of impact did it have on you? Uh, you know, as, as frustrating as it could be not getting third place, winning that award kind of covered up a lot of that yeah. uh, frustration. Um, you know, there was something that I said, I think I actually said it to Rich a long time ago, like uh, when we can uh, train together was that, you know, I want to be the fittest man on earth, but if all that is on my headstone when I'm dead is here lies one of the fittest men that's ever lived, I'd be pretty disappointed. Yeah. So, um, getting to win an award like that, where you're recognized for things that you do outside of the athletic floor and how you do things on the athletic floor, uh, that meant a lot. That was a uh, super humbling and, um, meant a lot to be one of those guys in the community. I love that. If that was the only thing on my tombstone. And I think it, I think it speaks to the world of athletes in general, you know, and, and, um, the way in which kids and can look to athletes as idols and, you know, but there's so much more that goes into that. And, you know, it's, it, it, it plays a lot into their character too. It's not just, you know, can you score the most points? Can you be the fittest person? Can you do this? Can like, what else is the substance of that man or woman? And I think, you know, that's what I always try to drive towards my kids in, in looking at who they're looking up to, I should say. Um, and you know, I always, I always pare it down to this. Is it someone you admire, you respect, right? And so there's a lot more into going into a person being your idol, like outside of just their accomplishments on whatever athletic field, or it may be like, do you respect them as a person? And, um, you know, uh, we talk about that a lot at the Travis Manning Foundation. Like, that's how you define your character. Like, you look for these individuals that you can emulate and emulate what they're doing on and off the field. You know, it's it, it plays so much more into that. Um, so the last couple of years, you've not only come back to compete in the CrossFit Games after an injury, but you've developed quite a following. And, um, and you started Always Train. So... Tell me a little bit about Always Train. Yeah, so um, the concept there was that, you know, you're not meant to be a one-dimensional person. You know, you should be should always be learning something new. You should always be learning from your mistakes, learning from your failures, all those different things. Um, and like mental, physical, and spiritual capacity is a big thing for me for being like a kind of, kind of a complete human. And so the, the theme there is that you're not a one-dimensional person. Your training shouldn't be either. And so that's kind of the the theme of the website. And I offer a handful of different like training programs. Like if you want to do bodybuilding style stuff, if you want to train for CrossFit games, if you want to just do a normal CrossFit class, uh, if you want to build strength, like all that is kind of available there for people to learn. Is this a, like a subscription based service? Yep. That's okay. Correct. Yep. Great. Great. And okay. I'm going to ask you a question, you know, um, and this isn't meant to uh, come across in the wrong way, but like, the world of elite athletes is it's it's highly stressful, right? And then at some point, you look at the fact that you're getting older, and competitors in your field are getting younger and younger, right? And how do you stay relevant in this space with um, so many of these young up and comers? I think it goes back to kind of what we talked about with the Spirit of the Games Award. Like, what do you provide the community? You know, if it's just thrusters and burpees, then yeah, you could be really good at that, but that's a flash in the pan thing like any athletic career is, right? Like you you have your window basically. 
And my window is definitely closing and getting a little bit smaller for, uh, you know, the main stage of the CrossFit games and that kind of stuff. But um, what can I do? What can I provide with all of these experience that experiences I've, I've had because I've pursued the CrossFit games, uh, you know, working for CrossFit HQ, working for Rogue Fitness, uh, getting to train with the Department of Defense and, and do things there. How can I provide something valuable to the community with all of those experiences that I think is a way that you can stay relevant in the community? Uh, in terms of competing, it, it, it gets 10 times harder. Um, <laughs> you, have to, you have to train way smarter. You have to eat smarter. You have to recover smarter. You have to uh, dial things in even better on all of those different levels in order for your body to stay in tip top shape, especially after having a handful of surgeries like I've had, like I really have to, it's basically like if you want the same amount of fitness level that you were going to get in six months when you were 27 to 33, now plan on that being 10 months to a year because you have to stretch it out further to make those gains. You can't work out as quick. You can't make, you can't make the big jumps that you used to make uh, before. So you just have to become that much more clever with, spacing things out, taking your time and making sure you don't have any setbacks. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's funny because, um, I actually went out, the Marine Corps marathon is, was virtual this year and I'd signed up. I did it last year, trained, um, very well, followed my training plan and had a great marathon. Right. And I'm like, all right, I'm 40 years old and I can still do this. Right. I actually beat my time that when I ran it at 27. So I was like, okay, not too, not too shabby. And then this year I signed up for the marathon. The marathon goes virtual. And I don't know. I mean, I guess I just was like, well, I'm still going to do it virtually, but I didn't put in, I don't even want to say I didn't put in adequate training. Like I put in zero training and got out on Sunday and just thought I could like run a marathon and I'd be fine. And it was a extremely painful situation that reminded me over and over of my age and that lack of training uh, was not an option anymore for things that I would do stupidly when I was in my 20s. You know, it just it wasn't it wasn't there anymore. So I totally get that. Um, but it was a good reminder that, uh, you know, you have to put in the time, you have to put in the effort, you have to put in the training. Um yeah, I um I had the benefit of uh there's some great people out in Ireland that run a an event called Filthy 150 and um they invited me out to the event and you can qualify for the games through this event and they're like we we know that you didn't do the qualifier but we just want you there we like who you are in the community we want you to compete and uh, I'm like okay like you know I'd be dumb to turn this down because it's a you know it's a trip to a place I've never been before I get to get back out on the floor and everything but there was that bug in the back of my head, like, you sure you're ready for this? Like, you sure you're <laughs> like going to be okay to do this? And, you know, I got fired up around it and, you know, put on the uh, competitive hat again and went out there and uh, did great. Like the first two days, in my opinion, for myself, for where I was at, like did great. The first, actually probably the first day and a half. And then like the second half of the second day. And when I woke up on the third day, I'm like, oh, you are not ready for this. Like <laughs> yeah. you, you, are not in this kind of shape again. I could feel it. I'm like, yep, those guys out there who the young bucks, and actually Justin Medeiros, he won that event, um, who just took, I believe it was uh, third at the CrossFit Games this year. Um, those young bucks, I'm like, you got to put in a lot more work if you want to run with those guys again. Yeah, so it, for was, sure. it was a humbling experience, but also a fun one. 
That's awesome. Um, so I have to tell you, one of the things I, I, I shared with you that, you know, and we'll talk a little bit more about your connection to the Travis Manning Foundation, and that's why I've been following you for a while. Um, but I actually, um, leading into this interview, I just discovered, and I don't know how, I, I guess you don't really, I don't know, I, I missed it somehow, but I just discovered Danny Broflex. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I was even looking at it this morning. I was cracking up. And um, so, I mean, you can probably tell it better than me, but like Danny Broflex is, I don't know, explain who it is. It's your alter ego, but I mean, it's, it's a way at, I guess, poking fun at the fitness community a little bit and... Um, Tell us the idea behind. Well, first, tell us who Danny Broflex is and the idea for that and how it came up. Yeah. So at the time that that happened, uh, the, the character kind of came about. It wasn't even a character. It was just CrossFit HQ was making these videos that were um, athletes who are ready for the game. So so-and-so, Dan Bailey is ready for the games. And they did one with like Jason Kalipa and Chris Spieler and all these other guys. And it kind of put a... Um, put the athlete in a normal situation. Like I think Jason was like pushing his car to work or something like that. Right. And it said, <laughs> so-and-so is ready for the games. Right. And, uh, we had this idea. I'm good friends with Heber Cannon and, and Mars and Sawyers who used to work for CrossFit HQ. They do their own media now. Um, and they had this idea or we had this collective idea to do something that with the, the bow flex and something that was very anti CrossFit at the time, uh, or CrossFit was anti it. And so, I come in and they're like, all right, you're either wearing this or this. And I, like, I look down on the floor and there's two mullets, tank tops, and just crazy shorts. And so I picked one and we didn't have a script. We just started going and uh, made this like funny video of spoofs about making an infomercial for fitness. And everybody loved it. Like people like ate it up. And so um, we decided to make some more of them. And that's kind of where the character came from. And the idea became... Uh, Danny's supposed to be everything that's wrong with the fitness community. Yeah. Like he is confidently wrong. Like he thinks he's right and he means well, but he's just a train wreck in everything that he tries to attempt to help people or to do. And uh, that's just the episodes that we've been, we've been making off of that. And I've, I've been really fired up because this year we actually made six more and we've released three of them. We have fun with it. Uh, Heber and Mars are a blast. They always push me right to the, to the limits of my comfort zone. For most people that know me, I'm, I'm pretty shy. I'm pretty humble. I'm pretty, uh, I don't like being that way all the time. But if I'm around like my close, close friends and I can loosen up, like that's kind of what comes out, right? So they pull that out of me and, and take me right to my edge pretty much anytime we film stuff. And we have a lot of fun with it. Community has fun with it. And uh, overall, it's just, it's just a fun thing to do. Well, it, it's funny too, because you and I have never met, but again, we have some mutual friends and, and I followed you and you definitely come across on, you know, your regular social media channels as a quiet, humble. Um, and then I find this and I was cracking up and I'm like, oh, now I'm really excited to talk to him because, you know, one of my character strengths is humor. That's one of my leading strengths. It's I use it a lot, you know, and sometimes people are like, you know, it, it becomes a def little bit of a defense mechanism for me because uh -huh. a, a lot of times people look at me and there's nothing I hate more than people like feeling sorry for me, you know, and like, oh, you know, oh, Ryan, she lost her brother and then her mom died. And, and 
it's just, it's very uncomfortable for me when people, I feel like they're taking pity on me. So I use humor as a little bit of a defense mechanism, but it's it's a, a leading character strength for me. And I loved seeing that. And I loved, again, just kind of taking everything you've built and, and being the oxymoron to that through this persona. Um, we're going to definitely, we'll link this. Uh, we'll, we'll first, we'll definitely link always train because I want people to look into that, but I want to link this Instagram too. Um, when we put this out, because it's just funny. I was watching today. I showed it to my husband. I'm like, you got to check this out. It's hilarious. Um, and I never knew about it. Um, do you feel like, um, humor's helped you in other ways or was this something a little bit like you said it's outside of your comfort zone did you all of a sudden find that humor could play this kind of role in your life uh yeah it's definitely something that i've had to like warm up to or i had to warm up to at least being that way in front of the camera right like yeah. when it's you and a couple of close friends people you grew up with like you can say and do all the dumb things in the world and they get it like they get who you they still know who you are they still know like the basis of you, but putting that stuff on camera to just a worldwide audience is very intimidating. It's very scary, both because you're acting so differently than you, than you typically are in front of most people. And then if it sucks, like if it's not funny and people don't think it's funny, you know, once things are out on the interwebs, they're out there, like you can't get rid of it. And so pretty much every time uh, Heber and I have, or myself and Heber and Mars have released an episode for something, not so much recently, but the first couple, I'd call them up the night before and be like, don't, don't put it out. Don't, we're not doing it. Let's not do it. Let's, we can't do it. It's not going to be funny. People are going to hate it. And then they have to like talk me off that ledge and then it gets out there and, and people enjoy it, you know? So, um, it's definitely a skill. It's definitely something I've had to practice and, and become better at. And again, it's just one more layer to the onion, I guess, you know, of, of trying to do things to help other people. God knows everybody could use a laugh in 2020. So it's the perfect time that we got some new episodes out. Yeah, you can you can totally say that again. Um, are there any other character strengths that you lean into on a daily basis? I know that, not that it's a character strength, but you're, you're, you have a strong faith uh, component in your life. And um, beyond that, or even if you want to talk about that, what are some things that you lean into daily? whether it's around your faith or other character strengths that you focus on, um, anything around that? Man, that's a tough question. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, my, my faith for sure, everything kind of stems from that. Uh, kind of a verse that I, that I live with and that um, I would call basically a life verse is Acts 20, 24. It's like, consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the task set before me, the task of testifying of the gospel of God's grace. So by saying those words, it's like, if I consider my life worth nothing to me, you know, then I can, I can almost do anything or I should be able to do anything. I should be able to put myself second to whatever it is that I need to accomplish for whatever goal, uh, that I want to accomplish. So sometimes your wants, your needs, your, your ability to want to be comfortable or your ability to just want to be lazy, whatever you want to call it, all that stuff gets put down. Um, because I have these other talents, these other gifts, these other things that I need to work out to the best of my ability, um, not only for my own success, but again, they're just things that I can use to help other people. So um, kind of taking that responsibility on that everybody has a circle of influence on some level and everybody has a uh, purpose. So it doesn't matter how many Instagram followers you have. It doesn't matter how many, you know, if you actually like drew literally a circle of influence around 
let's say The Rock. That's a great example. He's got however many, everybody in the United States following him, right, yeah. basically. In the world. Um, but yeah. Right, the world. But his circle ends somewhere, right? right? Like his circle of influence ends. There's an edge to it somewhere where somebody else has to pick up, right, to keep people on the right track, whatever you want to call that. And that could be somebody who's not even on Instagram, who doesn't even know what it is, right? But everybody has their their people that they influence. And, uh, you know, that's something I keep in mind, you know, daily with everything that you approach and just a reason that you should work out everything that you've got to the best of your ability and see where it takes you. I love that. I think about that a lot too, because, you know, again, um, the role that social media plays in all of our lives um, from young kids who are growing up, you know, just not knowing anything else to um, people like us that use it as a a professional platform to some degree, right? And then, you know, um, and then I think about people like my dad, who's a retired 30-year Marine Corps colonel, um, and, you know, he calls it the Facebook, and, uh, you know, oh, was, uh, I think that was on the Twitters, and I'm like, you know, I mean, and, but, uh, but you see, like, how insignificant that that is in his world and in his life and everything and so it's it's always mind-blowing to me to like get too caught up in that world of instant gratification where you know i I see it sometimes with my kids where um you know my 11 year old daughter will be like oh only 15 people liked my tiktok and i'm like did you like your tiktok and she's like, yeah. And I'm like, then who cares who else liked your TikTok, right? And right. and it's like this hard battle um, that I constantly face with my children. But I think that um, adults are just succumb just as much to those pressures, 100%. Um, and so I, I think about that a whole lot. And I love the way that you frame that out, this kind of sphere of influence. And, and frankly, if I look at my sphere of influence, like... <laughs> most of them have no social media presence at all. And, you know, I mean, that's not what it's about. Right. And, uh, so, um, it's pretty interesting. Um, a lot of people don't know, uh, that you've been connected to the Travis Manning foundation for a while. Uh, I'm trying to think, I think we became connected through our mutual friend, Jimmy Letchford. Um, that's correct. So Jimmy used to work for CrossFit headquarters and, um, he was actually wrestled with my brother at the Naval Academy. Um, and you became connected with us through our annual Mannion wad, which, um, which you're going to do again with us this year. And, and you made, I guess it was last year that the video was made, but we keep putting it out because it's like an incredible video of, again, you doing the Manion Wad in Royal Ohio and um, in your beautiful barn and then running out and there's cows running next to you as you're doing your (laughs) 400 meters. But um, what do you you get out of the involvement, not just with Travis Manning Foundation, but like this connection to the greater military community? Um, What do you think about that? Yeah. Again, I, like I kind of, I touched on it a little bit before, but just a way that I can serve the people who are serving me. And so, um, you know, I didn't know who Travis was, but I knew Jimmy, right. And Jimmy, um, he's an incredibly gracious, soft-spoken, nice guy who also happens to be a human weapon, like, you know, and so, um, I liked him from the start. We connected actually at another event in, uh, Hawaii, Kauai, the first time I met him with the ultimate Hawaii trail run, which, 
helps the uh, kids of Kauai get involved in fitness, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, at the time I was kind of learning how to surf. He already knew how to surf. And so, you know, we just kind of connected that way and then uh, chatting and everything from there, just getting to meet him. He, he's such a nice, humble guy. Um, and uh, he mentioned the the Travis Manion Foundation and everything. And, you know, I got a chance to look it up and see what it was all about. And um, that statement, if not me, then who, that hit me so hard, like right in the face when I read that, uh, you know, um, it's just, it's just one of those, it's just such a simple thing. Like I can't even add anything to it. There's nothing else to add to it. It just makes total sense. That, like, yeah, get off your butt and do something about the problems or the things that you want to fix. Like go do it, you know, yeah. start moving inch a day, whatever it is, like just, just start moving. And so, uh, just being able to support through, we drawing attention to it in the CrossFit community, obviously, you know, um, something that's unique about CrossFit is that there are a lot of different hero workouts where we celebrate fallen soldiers and those kind of things. Um, and so it's just a, a little microcosm or a way that you can relate in some way to in shared suffering with a group of people remembering a person. Uh, so it's a unique way that we get to experience uh, that in a sense um, on, a, on a much smaller level. But you know, what the, what the fan foundation stands for um, in terms of impacting generations to come and all that stuff, like, I grew up wanting to be a teacher. I had great teachers and coaches. So all these cool things that I get to be on board with, it's just like, yes, it just makes total sense that this is something that I'd want to invest my time, talent, and treasures in. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how it came about. Well, we appreciate that you do immensely. And um, I always think it's interesting. I remember when this wad was being put together and, um, you know, Jimmy played a really large role in creating what the workout would be. Um and, you know, I remember him saying, you know, this is going to be really heavy on the legs because Travis had like legs like tree trunks and like that, that was where his strength came from. And the first time I actually did the Manion Wad was with Jimmy. Um, I did it with him at the Naval Academy with a group of midshipmen at their um, CrossFit gym that they have on campus there. Um and there wasn't a second that you could feel sorry for yourself. And I think that's, I love the beauty of what the hero wads represent because we're all there for every single one to honor a fallen service member. And it doesn't matter how hard they are. And I would say arguably the hero wads are, they're hard. Um, no, oh my gosh. Yeah. They're the hardest <laughs> yeah. almost all the time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but they should be that way because they are, you know, you can you can do CrossFit workouts all week and you can kind of bitch and complain a little bit, you know, in your head, to yourself, to your buddy next to you. But you're doing that hero's wad and like there's nothing to say. Like there is no pain or sacrifice you're going to make in that 30 to 30 minutes to one hour that compares to what these men and women have done for our country. So um I think there's such poetic beauty in that. And I, I love the concept. I love that CrossFit does that. And, um, and again, love that you um, have helped lead the charge for pushing out the Manion Wad for us through the foundation. So um, I love everything that the Hero Wads are about. And, you know, we've got the Manion Wad coming up this weekend, which you're going to be participating in with us. So that's going to be super exciting and um, ready to get out there and, and do it again. Um, and, you know, Again, uh, experience what uh, a 41-year-old woman feels like after she does 
I don't know, it's 200 and something back squats. And, uh, and then, and I'll tell you a funny story. Um, when I did it with Jimmy the first time, uh, I literally, it was, I have never felt pain like I felt when I finished that wad. And during, in the moment, you know, I'm running with Jimmy, we're high-fiving. Like I had so much adrenaline and just passion that I wasn't feeling anything. And then as we were walking back to my dad's house, like my legs literally started seizing up and I'm like, oh my God, like something's wrong. And he's like, yeah, you got to take some Motrin, you know, keep moving, keep that lactic acid flowing. And I'm like, okay, I literally ignored everything. I walked into the house and I lied down on the couch and, and I called Jimmy and I'm like, Jimmy, I can't get up. He's like, you have to get up. You have to go for a walk. And I tried to walk upstairs to like change. I could barely get up the stairs and it just got worse. Like every bit of advice that he gave me, he's like, today's nothing. It's going to be worse tomorrow. I mean, the next day, again, I didn't listen to any of his advice and I lied on the couch all day and had like food delivered to me and like barely get to the door to get it. But I had a friend who was with me who was in the same position because he wasn't um, well prepared for the wad. So we just both like commiserated on the couches for 24 hours with Jimmy just texting us like, you're stupid, get up, go, you want pizza? Go walk and get the pizza. Don't have the pizza delivered. And he always gives me a ton of, uh, crap for it, but I've definitely learned my lesson. And, uh, I, uh, I keep going after I do the wad now. I, I don't stop. I keep moving. I roll it out. I keep walking. So, um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to you participating. Uh, Dan, it's been so awesome to have you on. Uh, love your story. I, 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 again, I didn't want to have you on because you're a CrossFit athlete. Um, I wanted to have you on because there's so much more substance to who you are, what you represent as a role model to these up and comers within, whether it's the CrossFit community or another community, but like, you know, this whole idea that you have to be a person of substance. There has to be more than just how heavy weights you can lift. And you certainly represent that. Uh, I want to close today with the same question I asked all of our guests before we close out. And that is, what does living a resilient life look like for you? Oh, man. What does living a resilient life look like to me? Um, I guess when I think of resiliency, I think of, um, you know, something has to have had to, have, I guess, kind of gone wrong or, uh, you know, to have resiliency from something, something maybe took you off course or those kind of things. Um, but having perseverance through life's obstacles is, uh, the best way that, um, you can learn and become a better human. Those things are necessary, right? Like trials, tribulations, hurdles, uh, nobody gets through life without some scars. So, you have to bounce back. You have to be resilient. And uh, that that's probably how I guess I would answer that question. I love that. No one gets through life without scars and perseverance over obstacles. Uh, I think that perfectly encapsulates what resiliency, what living a resilient life is all about. Dan, thank you so much for joining the Resilient Life Podcast. I uh, really appreciated having you on. Thank you to everybody for listening to this episode. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and share with your friends, family, and strangers. 
and um, look forward to hearing everything that you're going to keep doing and look forward to doing the Manion Wad with you this weekend. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. This was great.